0: So we're in Acts chapter 22, beginning at verse 42, going to verse 47. If you've got a Bible, we're reading in the NIV, so that's the church Bible. Feel free to grab one at the back if you need to. We are going to be in the text tonight. Um, Do feel free to follow a different translation if you prefer as well. So Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Daily, those who are being saved. Great. Uh, my name is Tom. If you don't know me, uh, I am one of the curates here at Holy Trinity. Thank you so much, Thomas. We are getting there with the tech. <laughs> Brill. Uh, yeah, I'm one of the curates here at Holy Trinity. It's always a joy to be preaching at the Six, and particularly as we're in this really exciting series, as Patrick mentioned, called A Church on Fire. Now, I remember a few years ago going on a family summer holiday to Centre Parks. Anybody been to Centre Parks? I imagine a few of us have. Yeah, there's a good few in the room who have their brilliant holidays for families because you get to do lots of like, fun activities, stuff that you never thought you might want to do. And this one year when I was about 14, I remember my parents were taking us away and they asked before we went, what do you want to do? What, what kind of new things do you fancy doing? And for some reason, I don't know why to this day, but I decided it would be good to have a go at archery. Um, with hindsight, it was a bit of a strange choice. I'd never done it before, um, but I kind of thought it would probably be quite easy. You know. <clears throat> in my head, although I hadn't seen that point, I'd probably imagine it'd be a bit like you know, Hawkeye from the Avengers movies, just you know, hundreds of yards away from the target, just pinpoint accuracy. All you need to do is point and shoot. Turns out, archery, not that easy. I couldn't get the hang of it. My arrows either kept falling way short or going way, way over. If I got one to kind of even reach the target, let alone kind of get in anywhere near the middle, it, it was, I was going well. And to make it even worse, um, my mum turned out to be really good at it. And like, I think it's fair to say there's nothing more humiliating for a 14 year old boy is that like, when your mum's better at sport than you, so. Um, it, it wasn't great, but then it got more miserable because you know you know that thing when someone who's really good just shows up and teaches you how to do it, but you can't, like the instructor turned up, he was like, well, you're doing it all wrong. This is how you do it. And he just shot arrow after arrow after arrow right into the middle of the target. And I still couldn't get it. I don't know what I was doing wrong. I couldn't get it. Now, there is documentary evidence of this, which I am going to show you. Um, But it comes with a health warning because when I was 14, I had both terrible hair and terrible judgments uh, because I was under the impression that it was a good idea to be a Man United fan. So that will appear in the picture. Don't worry, I've seen the error of my ways on both fronts now. I had a haircut in the week and I'm no longer a Man United fan. So there we go. But as you can see in this this picture that's about to appear, I've lost, there we go. So, I mean, it's a great look, isn't it? But right in the middle of the target, instructor's arrow, just to the left in the yellow, my mum's arrow, and then right the way over to the left-hand side, just about clinging onto the black bit at the edge, is my arrow. And um, that was, I think, one of my better efforts. I found the whole experience infuriating because it felt like like an unachievable goal. It felt like an unattainable target. There was a disconnect between what was being demonstrated to me and what I was capable of. And if I'm honest, um, that's sometimes how I feel when I read this Bible passage. You know, the early church we read is growing by hundreds and thousands every day. Everyone is sharing their stuff and they're all getting on famously. It sounds a bit kind of like heaven, if we're honest. Now, don't get me wrong, we do, we've got an amazing church here at Holy Trinity, a wonderful church family, but, you know, we're not perfect, and if you read the news, if you watch the TV news, kind of most days, weeks, there's a story of how the church in the UK is kind of like in terminal decline. It feels like, instead of growing, we're actually shrinking by hundreds and thousands every day. It feels like, sometimes it feels like the opposite of this passage that we read. So maybe, like me, you're asking tonight, what would it take to see this kind of Acts 2 transformation happening in our church, happening in our community, happening in our nation? How can it be our reality that each day the Lord adds to our number those who are being saved? Well, we're going to see tonight that kingdom growth and and thousands being saved each day are not unhittable targets. But if we're going to understand how that happens, we're going to need to kind of flip our ideas around about what it means to be church and where we find our identity. So let's get into the text uh, and look at what it teaches us. As I said, we're going to be in this Acts 2 passage tonight. So we've had, um, where we get to in the passages, we, we've had the day of Pentecost, a bit where the spirit comes down on, on the early church, and um, Patrick preached last week on the moment when Peter goes into the town square, and he preaches the good news, and all those people come to faith there and then, and Patrick was challenging us, I don't know if you remember last week, to think about where our town square is. And then here we are, the next part of the story. The believers keep meeting together. The Holy Spirit is present. He keeps moving among them. And in verse 42 of our passage, it tells us that they gather to do, two, to do four, things, sorry, four things. Teaching, fellowship, sharing the Lord's Supper, and prayers. Teaching, fellowship, Lord's Supper, and prayers. And often these things are called the four marks of the church. The four things that kind of characterise the church. Wherever the church gathers, wherever the church meets, this is what happens. And now I think we can go one better today because our operations manager is here tonight and he's called Mark. So we have the fifth Mark of the church. Welcome, Mark. Uh, I did did try that joke this morning with another Mark. It didn't didn't work then either. (laughs) Not learning my lesson. Um, But these four Marks, what they teach us is that we are made to be family. We're made to be family. And the one that we're particularly interested in today, the second mark, is fellowship. Fellowship. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a bit of an issue with that word fellowship because it sounds to me a bit kind of nice. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like bad coffee and cheap biscuits and and kind of really awkward small talk. And that is not a reflection on here. That's more a reflection on me than anything else. But do you know what I mean? We have this kind of image of Christian fellowship that is like awkward conversations kind of after church or something like that. I hasten to add that we have very good coffee here. We have exceptional snacks and even better conversation, which we're going to enjoy later on. But the point is that Luke is telling us about something that's much bigger than just a chat over a cup of coffee, Luke is telling us about something which he calls, it's a Greek word, he calls it koinonia. koinonia. Now, I kind of, I'm a bit loath to use Greek words and stuff like that, but the problem is that we don't have a good English word that translates. That's why we use fellowship. But I'm going to use that word today, koinonia, because that is what Luke writes in this passage And koinonia is important because it's not like a a passive word. It's not just like a one-off thing. It's an active word. It's something that we do together. It means partnering. It means sharing life. It means joining in together. It means communion. Not holy communion, but like communion together as a church family. And this is really important because it tells us how God has made the church to be. We're not meant to be a collection of individuals who just kind of meet once a week to worship and drink coffee together. We're not meant to be a social club. We're meant to be koinonia. We're meant to be family. But it's actually bigger than than that because actually family for us means all kinds of different things depending on which family we've come from. And Luke isn't really talking about a, a kind of normal human family here with good bits and bad bits and some dysfunctional relationships. As a church, we're made to be a different kind of family. So we should, should be a slide for that one, Dom. Thank you, I've lost control here. So if you could take over, that'd be brutal. Um A different kind of family, there we go. Because if you think about it, the idea of family doesn't, it didn't originate with us. It actually originated with Jesus and it's rooted in Jesus. Think about it, Jesus calls God the Father, doesn't he? and he calls himself the son. Look at what the apostle Paul writes to the church in Romans eight twenty nine. That should appear on screen as well. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Just let that truth kind of sink in for a moment. It's through Jesus that we get to be in this family in the first place. Now, how many of you put your hand up if you've got an older brother or sister? Are you the perfect kind of older brother or sister to them? I expect you probably are. Put your hand up if if you are an older brother or sister. Okay. And what about if you've got both? What if you've got a younger and an older one? Are you in between? So you get the best or worst of both worlds, maybe. Now, I'm an older brother, and I know that I'm not perfect. I'm pretty sure you put me and my sister together in a room now, we'd still be fighting over who gets to hold the remote control. That's one thing that kind of never goes away. Sorry, kids. It keeps going on. Um, But wrap your head about what that verse is saying. If we just have it on the screen again for a moment. If Jesus is the son and God is the father, we are the brothers and the sisters. Jesus brings us into the family by being the perfect older brother. It's a wonderful image, isn't it? The perfect older brother. Even though we've messed up over and over again, even though we've cut ourselves off from the family by our selfish behaviour and our sin, Jesus, by his death and resurrection, brings us back into the family with literally open arms. You know that parable of the prodigal son that, that Jesus tells? It's that image of the father running towards his child. You know, there's a reason Jesus uses these metaphors of family. And the family thing continues throughout Jesus' ministry. I'm going to show you a really short video that I saw today, actually. I was at home watching the football at halftime. There was an advert that came on. I just want to show it to you because it really illustrates the point better than I could. So if we could just have that short video. It's 30 seconds. Go for it, Dom. Now, maybe you want to go and buy some Coke Zero, but... The message that came out for me from that effort, that, did you see it? There is magic when we eat together. And that permeates throughout Jesus' ministry. Think about the Last Supper. You know, the single, the single thing that Jesus did before he died was to gather his friends and have a family meal with them. The last thing that he tells us to do, doesn't he? He says, do, it, do this as often as you remember me. To gather around the table and to eat together as a family And the theologian Robert Karras points out that actually throughout the whole of Luke's gospel, he has this amazing quote. He says, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. You know, there is something about food, something about sharing food together as family that unlocks something different. There is magic when we eat together. That's why we're having food with our social tonight. That's why we often gather around food at church. So, we... We know that we're made to be family. We've seen that so far. And we know that we're made to be a different kind of family. But the last thing that we see in this passage is that we are made to be a giving family. God is family because God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is not a kind of singular entity. He is one, but He is also three. You know, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they live in this amazing heavenly family. They're in heaven, delighting with each other right now. But it's not like a kind of selfish, inward-looking love. It's not like a clique. They're not in heaven just having a love in, like chilling and playing FIFA, although that would be a heck of a Twitch channel. I don't know who would win. That's probably a theological debate. I don't know where we would go with that. But, you know, it's the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is outward-looking. It's outward looking. It draws us in. Why else would Jesus come to die? Why else would the Holy Spirit come and fall down on the church? The love of God in the Trinity draws us into that family relationship. Now remember that word from earlier on that Luke uses about the church, koinonia. Remember it's active. It's all about partnering and sharing life. Well look at where else this crops up in the New Testament. We're going to go on the screen to 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. We proclaim to you this is John writing to the church. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have koinonia with us and our koinonia is with the Father and with his son Jesus Christ. Our koinonia is with the Father and the Son. Do you see, by using this same word about the church, Luke is showing us that we're not just a family that's created by God. We're a family that is created to be with God. He's inviting us, not just to be family with each other, but to be family with him at the centre. And if God's love is self-giving and outward-looking, then actually we don't kind of get a choice in it. If we're entering into his love, then our love needs to be outward-looking and giving too. Our family is made to grow. We're not supposed to keep it to ourselves. Just as God's overflowing love drew us into his family, so that's what we're called to do, to draw others in. And that is what we see happening in this Acts story. Look at the fruit. Look at what happens as a result of what the church are doing. We read in verse 45, the believers shared everything they had. Verse 46, they sold their property and their possessions to help those who had need. Verse 47, they praised God and enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. Not just the church, the goodwill of all the people. Now, when I was um, training for ordination um, at our last church, we had um, some really difficult times um, financially. Not because our church didn't pay us enough, but just because it's quite, it is quite a difficult time when you're going through ordination training. And Meg and my wife, didn't work and we had two children. It, it, was, it was a difficult kind of time financially. And a couple from the church uh, where we were just heard that we were having a difficult time and they just dropped some money in our bank account. It was incredible. And then one day our dishwasher broke and somebody just gave us a new one. <laughs> Another person bought us a holiday. And somebody even offered to like replace all the light bulbs in our house with energy efficient ones so that we wouldn't have such high electricity bills. It was incredible. I can't describe how much of a blessing that was to see the church mobilizing to meet our needs. These people really got that idea of the Trinity, the overflowing love of the Trinity kind of flowing out and into the life of others. And because of that, that's changed how we see our money. And we try now and do the same. And where we see some need, we just try and help out. Why wouldn't we want to share that koinonia love with other people? And when we do that, it just keeps drawing more people in. Isn't that what we long to see? Isn't that, as a church, isn't that what we are desperate to experience? We want to see more and more people being caught up into the radical, overflowing love of God. We want to see more help for those struggling to pay their energy bills. We want to see more food for the hungry. We want to see more homes for refugees as we've been hearing about tonight. We want to see more hope for the hopeless. We want to see more people supported through Kintsugi Hope. We want to see more seniors supported through Connections and cared for and loved. We want to see more young people blessed through the well. More lives changed through Alpha and through small groups. You know, church was never meant to be a business. Church was never meant to be a social club. Church was never even meant to be a well-meaning charity. Church is meant to be a family whose invitation to join never expires. I can't finish talking on this passage without just highlighting the most exciting bit. That we read in verse 47. As I put that on the screen, I wonder if you can see what it says. Does it say, each day the church added to their fellowship those who were being saved? Doesn't say that, does it? It says, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When we live in our identity as God's overflowing kind of self-giving family, this is what happens. He does the adding. You know, so often I think I come to church with my well-meaning plans, you know, my my strategies, what I think works and what doesn't, my own views about what we should do. And please don't um, misunderstand me. Actually, there is a real place for those things. We need plans. We do need strategies. We have to be intentionally missional, otherwise we'll just end up being a holy huddle. But this text, this Acts 2 text, reminds us that we cannot skip a step. It tells us that fundamentally when we come together and experience that koinonia, love of the Trinity, when we commit to each other, when we commit to our community, and when we commit to God, the kingdom grows. The kingdom grows. You know, this series is called A Church on Fire, isn't it? I love that name. But I think sometimes we're really desperate to be like a wildfire, kind of burning out of control and spreading everywhere. That's the image we have of the, of the early church. But sometimes we forget to be the kind of log fire in the hearth, drawing people in by our warmth, burning bright and, and warm and gathering people around it. That's more like what the early church was actually doing. They, it was a house church. There were small groups meeting in different houses. There were these kind of hearth, log fires, burning communities. Someone this morning after I preached reflected with me that wildfires burn themselves out because they're out of control. They run out of fuel eventually. If it's a log fire and a hearth, it keeps being topped up. We're meant to be together. We're meant to be, experience that koinonia love of God to be replenished. As I finish... You know, coming out of the pandemic, I believe we have a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, certainly once in a generation. We've got a whole generation who are scattered and disheartened and disillusioned. They're feeling unconnected, uncared for, unloved. The world needs to know the precious truth of Jesus Christ that we have at our centre. And it begins when we respond to God's invitation to be family together. A family who shares our money and our time with others. A family who praises God and enjoys the goodwill of all the people. A family who every day sees the Lord adding to our number those who are being saved. And if that's what you're desperate to see tonight, then I think the question for you is this. Will you dare to be a part of that kind of family? Because it's not easy it's going to mean putting away your preferences and your plans and your strategies. We don't come to church for awesome snacks although we do get those. We don't come to church to be encouraged although we get that. We don't come to church to hang out with our friends although we get that as well. We we could get all that from like the golf club or online gaming or like Friday drinks with our friends. We come to church to be family with God and family with his people. And when we do that, the kingdom grows. You know, this isn't this isn't unhittable target. It's not like me with my bad hair and my arrows. This is the kingdom really does grow when we do this stuff. We can see it happening today. We are a loving and generous community because God invites us into his own perfect loving and generous community in the Holy Trinity. When we embrace that koinonia identity, partnering with God and, when, and with each other, that is when we're going to see the kingdom grow. Tonight, will you join in? Amen.